0: Welcome to the Seahawks Forever Podcast. And now, here's your host, Dan Vians. All right, you guys, let's just get right into this, shall we? Um, hope you brought your cocktails. Cheers to the end of another Seahawks season. And actually, another Seahawks winning season. We're all happy, right? The Seahawks beat the Cardinals today in a thriller. 21-20, to another come-from-behind win. Another game-winning drive with uh, at least one big-time throw from Geno Smith. Um, and yet, uh, the Seahawks finished 9-8. and eight. It's a winning season. They finish on a good note, right? You always want to win your last game, even if it's not the Super Bowl. And yet, everyone is pissed off. <laughs> everyone is pissed off. Uh, all the press ga- uh, post-game press conferences happening right now. Um, I will react to all of that stuff in a day or two. Certainly want to hear a coach's show on Monday. But here's one reason everybody's mad. is because the Green Bay Packers this year did not do us a favor and did not lay down and die against the, the Chicago Bears at Lambeau Field tonight. Bears couldn't really get anything done on offense. Justin Fields was pretty terrible. And uh, we needed the Bears to beat the Packers in order to get in. And the way it went down was uh, interesting. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I'm going to give you my quick thoughts and then we'll get into some comments because they're already rolling in. And and for somebody who started off right off the bat, because I'd promised I'd go live right after the show. And they said, Hey, you're late. Uh, there's some stuff that needs to be done in order to get this set up. Uh, I have to arrange all of, uh, my outputs and, uh, build a graphic and set up the YouTube live stream and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, that takes a little bit of time. Um, so the Seahawks win 21-20 to 20, uh, with a Matt Prater missed field goal to end it to preserve the win. Uh, actually, Prater missed two field goals late in this game. And they showed a graphic, They classic TV jinx, that he had never in his career missed a game-tying. I believe it was game-tying or game-winning field goal with less than two minutes or in overtime. And yet he missed two. Um A 50-yarder, I believe. Final score, 21-20. to Uh, Thrilling last drive for the Seahawks. Beautiful, brilliant touchdown pass from Geno Smith to Tyler Lockett. Nice to see. Tyler had another big gain in this game. We'll talk a lot about his potential future in the the coming days and weeks. Um, And then instead of going for the tie, which is a very Pete Carroll thing to do, they went for two. And here's what I want to say about that. Uh, I mentioned the timeline. There was about, what, there was about three or four minutes left in the Seahawks game when the Green Bay game went final. So they knew they were out. They knew they were they were eliminated. And to their credit, I just want to get this out of the way, to their credit, once they knew, and they knew, the folks in, in Arizona <laughs> that uh, run the game day programs uh, in that stadium made sure that everybody knew, that the Packers had beaten the Bears and eliminated the Seahawks from the playoffs. Showed it on the big screen, made a big deal out of it. So the players all knew. As if they wouldn't have been peeking at the scoreboard anyway. And yet they didn't lay down and die when things at that moment, things looked really bleak. Because over the course of this game, this game I, I tweeted out about midway through the second half of this game, it felt very much to me like week one against the Rams. Well, the Seahawks in the first half looked like the better team. Only had the one-score lead at halftime, up eight, I believe. Um, let's pull up some of those box scores. And look like the better team. And had made some improvements. Uh, James Conner had 55 yards rushing at the half, but they were containing him. Things looked better up front. They forced a couple of punts. Uh, they were able to move the ball at times. And then they came out in the second half and it looked like Arizona made the better adjustments and the Seahawks didn't and really started to shut us down on defense. And what frustrated me about the game plan offensively in the second half is it was it almost was like Shane Waldron conceded to what the the Cardinals were doing because they just stopped throwing the football downfield. Everything was sideline to sideline. They tried to run the ball a ton, and then there were lots of little bubble screens and sideline throws to tight ends and things like that. They just didn't try to push the ball downfield. Geno's numbers today, not dynamic. 16 out of 28 for 189 yards. Two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, He had one that was close, uh, but it bounced off the ground. Uh, But it was tipped in the air, and it was a ball that you could argue that DK should have caught, finished with a 101 passer rating. Uh, Kyler Murray in this game, 22 out of 30, very, very efficient, just the one touchdown, uh, 262 yards passing. Um, Gino didn't take any sacks today, uh, but running the football, once again, second half really got going at one point with a couple of minutes left, and I'll have to see what the final numbers were. The Cardinals were averaging 7.5 yards per carry. It was up to almost eight, and then Connor had a one-yard loss, and it brought it down to like 7.6. They made a big point of it on the telecast. James Connor uh breaks a thousand yards rushing for the season for the first time in his career, finishes with 27 carries, 150 yards. See, we this is what Pittsburgh did to us last week. This is what any team facing the Seahawks in their current incarnation is going to do. They're just going to keep running the football. Uh, Seattle, you know. Pete once again vowed to run it more, and they did, not a lot more. Kenneth Walker, 17 carries, 78 yards, a 4.6 average. Zach Charbonnet had five touches, which is one more than he had in the last two games combined. Five uh, carries for 32 yards. He was in there quite a bit uh, on that game-winning drive. Uh, just to go over some of the other numbers, Tyler had uh, two catches, the long one of 37 for a big first down, and uh, and then the touchdown. Will Disley with a couple of big catches, and in this one he had three for 46. DK just one for 10, which is was really strange. There were some there were some balls thrown to him, and that one for 10, I think, was on the first drive of the game. It was a beautiful out route by Gino. There were there were some balls thrown to him. There was one that I thought was a catch that they called a catch on the field, and they overturned it. Uh, in kind of a weird moment. Cause I guess it was Jonathan Gannon's first ever challenge replay challenge of the year. And he won it. Uh, meanwhile, for the Cardinals, Michael Wilson with a w- little bit of a breakout game, the rookie out of Stanford, six catches 95 yards. And then uh, no one else really did a whole lot of damage. There were no turnovers in this game. Bobby Wagner with 15 tackles and they confirmed on the telecast. He, he, won his third tackling title in the NFL. He will lead the NFL in tackles after this game. Devin Witherspoon's presence was felt, especially in the run game. 11 tackles, 7 solo, 3 tackles for loss. Devin Bush, 6 tackles, 2 for loss, and yet there was a lot of criticism of him on on Twitter. Not really sure um, what his performance looked like. Uh, Jordan Brooks tried tried to make it go. In this game, uh, played early and had a huge play on the Cardinals' first drive, where in coverage, something that his detractors have said he doesn't do well, um, knocking a ball away from Trey McBride, reaggravated his, uh, or I guess the proper grammatical term is just aggravated his um, that uh, that ankle. Tried to come back and play through it, but just uh, really wasn't able to go throughout much of the second half. Um, DK may have gotten banged up, had to leave a couple times, was was out for portions of the second half, although he was in, I think, on the two-point conversion, which was also to Tyler Lockett. Um, But my point earlier is once they realized they were eliminated, up until that point in the second half, they just started getting gashed in the run game. In the first half, they were able to control it. In the second half, it looked like the Pittsburgh game. They just, it wasn't just the tackling that was bad. Uh, that's been a problem all year. It was just massive holes right? like yards. It'd be interesting to see the numbers of yards before contact in this game. And then, you know, James Conner, looking reborn this year. I mean, I remember his days in Pittsburgh and he's always been a little injury prone. Uh, never really thought he was uh, as physical of a back as he showed uh, this week and and actually last week too he had an outstanding performance and, and that really stood out to me as well. So the Cardinals or the Seahawks sweep the Cardinals on the season the Cardinals finished four and 13. Uh, so the Seahawks managed to go two and four in their division, of course getting swept by the 49ers and the Rams. Um, the big let's just get to the big storylines because this isn't the type of game where we're gonna break down stats. The big storyline is people want change. There were two. I did more texting, conversing, debating on Twitter throughout this game at Seahawks forever than I've ever done. Spent more time talking about big picture issues than the game itself and ended up blocking more people than I have ever blocked before <laughs> um, in in one given day for sure. And, and here's my rule on that, if if you're ever interested in engaging in debate with me. And, and those of you that have followed me for a while or even watched the show um, probably know this about me. I, I get emotional sometimes, but for the most part, I, I consider myself a, a pretty thoughtful guy who tries to be rational, tries to see the big picture, and tries to see things through other people's eyes. Whereas I think that's a blind spot that a lot of fans have. They see what they want to see. They make a decision. You can't move them off of that. And then they want to force their desires and beliefs into the big picture, right? And the big one, of course, is Pete Carroll. It's time for a change. That this just isn't working. That the the defense in particular is the symptom that, that really amplifies what the problem is. He's gone through multiple defensive coordinators in the last seven or eight years and yet he's he's tweaked the scheme, and yet things don't get better. They've thrown resources, draft picks and free agent signings at the defense trades, and yet it's not getting better. And you can make the argument, I, I talked about it earlier in the week, that this defense is worse than the one last year when they promised changes and made all these moves with the intent of accomplishing ch- change. Uh, and yes, it, it yet it's... It's bad. It's bad. They're 20. They were going into this game. They were 29th in most major categories. They may finish 30, 31st. You can make the argument. It's it. They ended the season with the worst defense in the league with a bunch of high draft picks and high paid guys. uh, Here's just a random thought. I remember when Mike Holmgren had come back to Seattle, he was doing a lot of radio after his days, even in Cleveland when he failed as a GM for the second time. And he was reflecting back on his days in Seattle, and he was asked if he would do anything differently in how he built out the roster. And this has always stuck with me. He said, absolutely, I would have done it completely the opposite of the way I did. And what he meant by that is he went young on offense, and he drafted for offense, and he played a lot of young players. On defense, he brought in a lot of older veterans and free agents. And he said, what he learned about the league is that you need to, on on defense, you need to have that edge and you, you achieve that edge in large part by being young and hungry and stocking that side of the football with guys who haven't been paid yet. But on offense, you need continuity and you need consistency and you need to keep guys together. And so it's better to have more experience on that side of the ball. And I just wonder if maybe there are a few guys on the Seahawks defense that are a little too fat and happy. It's just a side note. I don't think it's a huge issue because they do have a lot of youth over there, which begs another question of, of just player development and coaching. And and are we getting the best out of those guys? We saw recession or regression in Reek Woolen's game this year. I'm not sure that we uh, saw any progress or development from Trey Brown or Kobe or Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, there's some good performances we can talk about on that side of the ball. We didn't see the performance that we expected out Draymond Jones for the money they spent in free agency this year. But everybody wants to talk about Pete Carroll and they want change. And before we talk about this, and then I'm going to go to some of your comments because I know there's a lot of them. Uh, I, I feel like I have to keep prefacing this because people come at me whenever I try to be reasoned and measured on Twitter and see the big picture. And mostly what I'm telling people is, I don't see Jody Allen firing Pete Carroll. Not now. I don't. She doesn't have a history. Even in her time at Portland, she's made one coaching change, and I think it was after giving multiple chances. Um, now, when I looked into it, I will say this. The reason she made a coaching change is because they had reached, I think, the conference finals, and then they had a couple years where they made the playoffs but exited early. Does that sound familiar? Right? Maybe, maybe this isn't good enough for her. We don't really know because she doesn't have a lot of history. What we do know, is she loves Pete Carroll. She has gotten more involved in what they do there over the last couple of years. What was the the story on her when she took over the franchise after Paul Allen's death? Big basketball fan, doesn't really like football. The initial reports were she probably looked to move and, and sell that the football team pretty quickly, but we'll definitely be hands-off, which gave Pete and John pretty much free reign. What have we seen the last couple of years? She's in the draft room. She's at the games more often. She's more engaged and involved. She loves Pete and John. There are also the reports that the team will be put on the market and she'll look to sell sometime in the next year or two as is actually required by the trust and Paul Allen's will. Uh, but there were some dates I think that happened this year that made it a little easier to sell or a little bit more attractive to sell. I'm, um, you know, we'll talk about that stuff. We'll dig into that when we get deeper into the off season. But if she's thinking about selling the team, I don't know that she's going to be, even if she is thinking about making a change, I don't think she's going to be willing to, to take such a risk and go with such an unknown. Because for those of you who want change for the sake of change, like uh, people have literally said to me, anything would be better than what we're seeing right now. Are you sure? Look around. I touched on it a couple months ago. Look at some of the hot shot, big hot hires guys that had multiple offers that were up and coming coordinators and the, and the big names in the coaching circle that got jobs in the last couple of years that aren't doing great that are on the hot seat again are are guys like Brandon Staley who've already been fired. Be careful what you wish for. You never know what's behind door number two. Is she willing to take that risk and have it go badly, make the wrong choice? Not that any, you know, none of that may matter when someone's looking to buy an NFL football team, they may not care about what's happening today on the field because they have their own ideas. But it could be a factor with her. She is very emotionally invested in that staff, and I don't know that coming off a back-to-back nine-win seasons, after trading away your franchise quarterback and and doing a rebuild, <laughs> especially because they they pull off this last game, right? So they're, you know, they're they're upset. It'll be interesting to see the the mood of the locker room when I get off off air here and dig into some of that stuff. What an awkward, what a weird end of the year. I remember I attended the game in Arizona, in that stadium, the uh, the 3-3 overtime tie in, what was that, 2016? Or was that 18? And I remember walking out of that stadium, Seahawks fans and Cardinal fans, there was no buzz, no one's talking shit, no one's... We're just all kind of looking at each other like what are we supposed to feel right now? How are we supposed to act? I suspect it may be a little bit like that today. And so that's my bottom line, right? And I'll take your comments and questions. And And some of you are just adamant that, that you'll even stop watching. You won't buy tickets next year. If they don't fire Pete, Pete needs to go. And he, and it's, Some of you were rooting for them to lose today because you thought it would lead to that. And I'll say this. That for sure, I don't believe. That, I think, we do know enough about Jody Allen to know if she's thinking about major changes, she's looking systematically at what's happening. Just the result of today's game wasn't going to swing her one way or the other. I don't believe. I really don't. You know, in other places, maybe it does. Right? Maybe Arthur Smith got fired today with their performance. Maybe Justin Fields cemented, you know, that the Bears are going to go quarterback with the first pick because he didn't rise up and play well in a in a game at the end of the year before they have to make a decision. Maybe that coaching staff loses their jobs there. It's, I just don't think it impacted uh, what she's going to do one way or the other. I, I I, think the win is meaningless in that sense. But I do believe, knowing what we know about Pete Carroll, that he's going to go into Jody's office when that meeting comes, and he's going to say, hey, look, we won nine games again. We finished on a good note. Got a lot of young players. There are some pieces in place. We have some things we have to fix. I know that. Here's how I'm going to do it. And I see Jody buying that hook, line, and sinker. I do. Now, if she proves me right, and I've been telling people that emphatically, I don't usually make resounding hot takes because I try to see both sides of every argument. I try to think about what the other side's thinking, right? But I've been telling people emphatically for the last week or two, she's not going to fire him. She's not going to fire him. Uh, what was it, six weeks ago when when I did the episode where I got a little emotional and I said, and I still believe to this day, I want to preface all of this with this or qualify it all with this. Uh, I want change too. I'm with you. It's time. I think the league has advanced in the last five, six years, maybe incrementally a little bit more than it ever has. Some of these young minds and the way that the innovations that we're seeing on offense, and on defense, uh, I think have kind of passed Pete Carroll's mindset by, and I don't think he can keep up, and I think in that way, I've mentioned this before, I think it's very, very, very similar to what we saw at the end of Mike Holmgren's tenure, that what he did strategically just didn't work anymore. And unless, as a head coach, you're willing to admit that, Go out and hire two strong coordinators, pay them, and give them total autonomy, hands off, run the show, and be more of a Don James, little old school Husky reference there with the championship game on the line tomorrow. A Don James type head coach. He used to stand, I used to watch practice, got to attend one practice on the field when I was playing high school football, and he stood in a tower with a clipboard like this. Check check, check, while all his assistant coaches actually ran the show. It was like a CEO type of head coach. I don't think there are any of those anymore in football. And I certainly don't think Pete's willing to do that. I don't think he can help himself. He wants to meddle. He wants to be hands-on. Which is why it's appropriate to make him accountable for what's happened on defense. Because even though he says... Clint Hurt calls the plays. Ken Norton Jr. called the plays. It's his defense. Chris Richard called the plays. It it was his defense. He made a lot of money for Dan Quinn and and Gus Bradley. Got them head coaching jobs. But it was mostly like Pete had to approve everything they were doing. He was going to win those arguments if those guys wanted to do something that went against Pete's core principles. So he should be accountable for it. I don't think Jody Allen's going to fire him. I do think Clint Hurt's gone. I think that's what Pete's going to have to offer up as a solution. Because I don't think they have the ammo this year to go out and add bodies and be able to make the argument that just, see, we've added a couple of butt kickers. That's going to make us better. Because I think the talent is better on this roster than it's been the last couple of years defensively, and yet they're worse in their performance. And that's on the coaches, that's on the scheme, that's on the execution of that. So I do think that'll happen. I think Shane Waldron's job is safe. The other discussion is Geno Smith. I'm tired of having it. Really, really, really tired of having it. There's still some of you that want us. And okay, let me just say, because I got to call myself out on this. Two months ago, I did a show, did a mock draft with Michael Thompson, said we have to take a quarterback in the first round. It's time. Since that time, since week seven, Geno's been a top 10 quarterback. Very, very, very good. Good enough to win with, not the problem. If you think Geno's the problem, and many of you still do, and you cannot be convinced otherwise, then you're just wrong. Sorry, you're just wrong. He's not the problem. Unless he can play both ways, stop the run, and cover, he's good enough to win with. I'd love to see what Geno Smith can do on a team with a top 15 defense a league average defense and a little bit better running game. Love to see what he can do. He got better when all of you were saying, not all of you, but those of you on the side of got to get rid of Gino. uh, Didn't play great up through kind of the Cincinnati game. Right. When I even ripped him to shreds, did a all 22 breakdown. Um, There was an argument to be made that he regressed, that the league figured him out, that he kind of wasn't a secret anymore. He's gotten better since week seven in every category. It's been really good. Seahawks don't win that game today without him. They're not in the game last week without him. And he's the reason, he's the biggest reason that they won nine games. If you don't believe that, you're just wrong. And so to think that we're going to use our first-round pick on a quarterback this year... And not pick again until the third round when we need to address right tackle, left guard, maybe right guard, defensive tackle, edge, linebacker, maybe two linebackers, safety, tight end, maybe another receiver. We need to address all that after the third round because you're going to take a quarterback who's then just going to sit because he's not going to beat out Gino. That's a terrible use of resources and draft allocation, which is one of the biggest criticisms that we've had of the Seahawks over the last few years, right? So that's just, that's a discussion I know we're going to have all offseason. I'm going to look at quarterbacks because I want like crazy. I will stand here and pound my desk for the next five months that if they don't come out of this draft with a quarterback, they have failed. But not in the first round. Uh, Seahawks will draft 16th. Now, here's the other thing I want to say before I get to the comments. Uh, if they had lost, they would have drafted 14th. That's the difference. And some of you wanted them to lose today for draft pick select for uh, positioning, because those two spots are going to make such a big difference. <laughs> In a draft that have we've already heard lacks blue-chip talent at the top. So it's conceivable that Seahawks are going to be right at that ledge where there aren't 16 first-round grades. And then you know what we'll do, and we'll, we'll talk about moving down from there and all of that. If you're new to the channel, stay tuned. Buckle up. Because this is when it gets good. <laughs> I kind of, in a sick, twisted way, enjoy the offseason more than the regular season. The regular season is very routine. What happened last game? What's going to happen this game? What's going on with the roster? Overreactions. Uh, the offseason is what really, really, really gives me goosebumps. Digging into the draft, studying prospects, doing mock drafts, talking about different scenarios, considering all avenues, um, free agency, coaching changes all of that stuff. Absolutely love that stuff. There will be more guests in the off season and more interviews in the off season. Before I get to your comments, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit that like button, please subscribe to the channel. Best way to support the show. If you listen on audio, uh, it's on all of the audio platforms, but you can subscribe through Spotify and listen to, um, episodes ad free. Uh, For just 99 cents a month. That'll be going up at some point. I'll be doing some audio only episodes. It will only be available to my subscribers. Uh, But for now, it's just 99 cents a month to get in on that. Uh, And also link in the description if you want to buy me a coffee or a beer. All right, let's get over. Uh, I hesitate. (laughs) I'm a little afraid to open these comments, but let's go. Um, How late am I? Okay, these comments have been up for almost an hour, so I'll try to get to what I can. Uh, okay, <laughs> right off the top, Aaron Martin, who I was talking to on Twitter today. Let's be respectful, of course. <laughs> and then this is a great response from Nate Shoots. That run defense was very disrespectful. I like this. Just throw this in here a little bit. Kugski, go Hawks. Always try to stay positive, right? There is, you know, I, I talk about the negative part of the fan base, but there's a very, very, very large portion of the fan base also That's just unconditional love, rose-colored glasses. Everything's going to be fine. God love you. And also go Cougs, right? Uh, Let's see. Let's get into some stuff because this is on the minds of a lot of Seahawks fans. Thomas, with the Seahawks winning, there's more of a chance Pete steps aside now. Bring in Dan Quinn. This, to me, is the more fascinating storyline. And I'll say this. If Pete gets fired tomorrow on Black Monday or next week or a week, you know, two weeks from now, like Jody may take more time to consider this. Remember, two years ago, there was a very, very uh, hotly reported meeting that was going to happen in January between Allen and Snyder and Carolyn. In some circles, there was some reporting that she she was unhappy. That's when they won seven games, missed the playoffs entirely. Uh, the year Russ got hurt. And there was some speculation and reporting that maybe she was considering a change then. And now we know that that's when, you know, Russ went to her and his camp went to her and uh, tried to demand that they be fired. And she chose Pete and John over Russ. right? That is documented now. Um, And so maybe there is a chance that she's considering a change. I don't think there is. However, Pete Carroll is as reflective of a person as there is in that business. If you haven't won uh, his book, Win Forever, you really should. Get to know the man a little bit. He, When he was fired from the from the Patriots, he took a year off from coaching and basically looked himself in the mirror and evaluated everything he was doing and decided to make changes, and he put a plan together and he executed that plan at USC. He brought that same plan to Seattle. The reason he chose the job in Seattle is because they were going to allow him to run things the way that he wanted to because he had such conviction about how he had decided he was going to do things from then on. There may be a chance at the age of 72, going to be 73 next year. <laughs> I say that like you don't know that how that's a, how that works. That he may admit exactly what we're all talking about. I'm out of answers. I thought I had a fix for the defense this year, but all these young coordinators, just they figure out how to adjust. They figure out how to how to combat it. I don't have any answers. Maybe it's time for me to step aside. And the Dan, he that could happen. I would say that's more likely than that he gets fired. I still wouldn't put a very high percentage on it. Maybe it's 30%. There's a 30% chance in my mind. That he might step aside and decide it's time and he's done all he can do. That he doesn't see a path that in the next two years he can get this team to do another Super Bowl. And his contract runs through 25. That's why I say two years. And maybe there's a 5% chance he gets fired. I don't even think it's that high. If I'm wrong, I'll come on here and eat crow and we'll talk about it ad nauseum. Um, but that's where I would place those odds. Dan Quinn's an interesting one. We know that Pete Carroll and Dan Quinn are very, very close. Dan Quinn had opportunities to be a head coach last year. He went back in Dallas to Dallas as D.C. again, some believe because he might have thought that McCarthy would get fired there. Certainly that's not going to happen now. But there was also speculation that he loves this organization. They love him. And that he's waiting for this to happen. So there is a pie-in-the-sky kind of idea out there that maybe Pete, knowing he can hand it off to someone that he loves and trusts with his baby, right? That that's a move that can be made. Now, some of you think that Dan Quinn would be the worst idea ever. I'm not going to get into details now, but I think you could do a lot worse than Dan Quinn. I think there's a long, 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 long history in the NFL of coaches who get fired once and come back and succeed because they learn. And they have better situations. I don't think Atlanta had a very good GM when he was there. Took him to a Super Bowl, and then the roster just didn't really support him. He was never able, able to build the kind of defense that he has proven he can run since then. Because they never really got him a pass rush there, and they just lacked in some areas. Bill Belichick was fired. Pete Carroll was fired before. Twice. Like... Uh, but that's that's a converse, conversation for another day. It is something to watch. Thomas, dream scenario. Pete stays as vice president to keep the culture of the team and then lets John Schneider and Dan Quinn do their thing. Uh, same kind of piggybacking on that last idea. This is something I've talked with friends and other podcasters and reporters about uh, for quite a while now. That if Pete decides to step aside, I still think he'd be involved in the organization in some role. And maybe that would be the move. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, here we go. Vashon King. Anyone supporting Pete doesn't understand or know football. Hiring yes men, soft zones, and his sugarcoating bullshit speeches not working anymore. You might be right about the second part of that. And I said it today on Twitter. I said there's a conversation to be had about whether or not this positive culture that Pete has built that draws players to it. Makes them want to come back to when they leave, makes them want to come to as free agents. Maybe doesn't provide that edge that you need to win in the NFL today because they're they're a little too comfortable. The first part of that comment though, get out of here with that. Um here we are talking about some some young coaches. Um, Bobby Slowick's an interesting one. I'm not hiring a guy as a head coach who's had one year as an offensive coordinator. Not doing it. Uh, the Seahawks would be in a position with, they would have an attractive roster. Support from ownership. Um, this would be an attractive, attractive job. You're not handing it over to someone who's fresh on the scene. Now, a young guy like Ben Johnson in Detroit who's done it for multiple years, we can talk about that. We can talk about that. Um, here we go, Thomas, again. Not against that at all. I just find with the culture Pete has made here in Seattle, it's really hard to bring a new face in that's not familiar with everything. But if you're going to make change, you want some change, right? You can't just... If the, if the Pete... Dan Quinn thing were to happen. I would like to think that Pete would let Dan alone to run things his way or whoever's in that position. That would be the concern about him staying in the organization. Is he still going to Uh, Here's just a simple one. Get someone new in here. Kevin fire Pete, but who, do, who do the Hawks get? I mean, that's a big question, right? You never know. I'll do a show. Soon. Where I'll go in detail over the last couple of years about some of the hot coaching hires and ha- that haven't worked out. Um, can we trade for Mike McDaniel? <laughs> uh oh, here this is interesting. See, this is why I want to get into the post-game stuff that I haven't yet. Uh Kugski says, I think Pete just had a 40 and slip in the presser that this is Bobby's last year. Let's talk about Bobby for a second. He surprised me and probably just about everybody when he came out this this week and emphatically said he wants to come back again next year. But here's the thing. Before the season started, he said two things. He said he's going to go year to year at this point in his career, one year at a time, and he only wants to play in Seattle. Well, he's kind of changed his tune on that now. And I hate that he said that. I wish he hadn't because it paints the Seahawks in a corner and it makes them have to possibly look like the bad guy again of letting a legend go again. Although I think it'd be less shocking. Now some fans would be like, he just won the tackle title again. He was outstanding against the run this year and in the locker room. He's a great dude. I've met him. He's treated me phenomenally. Um, But uh, teams do continue to pick on him a little bit in pass coverage. Look, I'm fine with bringing Bobby back at the right number, and at the right agreed-upon role. I don't want to think about him being an every-down player again next year. He has a role. He was effective. He was rushed the passer as good as he ever has in his career. Those numbers are outstanding. And against the run, very, very, very good. Um, You know, there's a question about whether you're going to bring Jordan Brooks back, and if that happens, would he be better suited to Mike? And then you go out and you get a weak sideline linebacker that can cover better. Those are all X and O things we're going to talk about as we get into the offseason. But the Bobby thing is uh, is fascinating. I can't wait to get to, to Pete's post-game press conference, and I'll, I'll react to that and his coach's show tomorrow. Uh, let's see. Brucey Bonus, Carroll's record as team's head coach was 136-89-1, making him the most successful head coach in Seahawks history. The team made it to the playoffs 10 times, 2010. Okay. Yeah, he's a legend, and he got us a, our first and only Super Bowl championship, right? He's a legend. That's what's going to make it so tough, and that's why I do think uh, I just don't see Jody doing it. If she does, it needs to be done right. It can't, it shouldn't be Black Monday tomorrow. You wake up in the morning. Adam Schefter's got all of the coaches that are fired, probably five or six of them, and Pete Carroll's one of them. I don't want it to go down that way, if it happens at all. I uh, hear Thomas said, Carol just expect, said he expects to be back next year. Of course he does. I I really, I expect him to be back too. And that's why I have changed my approach. If you do follow me on Twitter, at Seahawks forever, um, I'm already starting to do mock drafts. Even though I don't really know the class that well, I'm just getting to know it little by little. And, and a couple of things to keep in mind when you see my mock draft classes. For the most part, sometimes I'm familiar with the player or I'm going off what someone else tells me for the most part, I'm just kind of trying to slot in based on rankings that I see out there, the right idea. Okay, this would be a good spot for a tight end. This would be a good spot for guard. Don't know yet if it's that's the guard I like. That'll tighten up as we get closer to the draft. Um, But I have changed my approach to that because I expect him back. And I think the goal is going to be to fix the defense shore up the offensive line and run with what we have. And honestly, I do. I think that's the right approach If you're getting a new coach. All bets are off. Everything's on the table. And maybe then going with a young quarterback would make more sense. Those two things need to go hand in hand. I think. Um, <laughs> Pete talking in his postgame press conference about how hard they practice rushing on field goal attempts, taking pride in how aggressive they are. I will say this after it was announced in the stadium that they were eliminated from the playoffs, they didn't give up. They played hard. There were some big hits on that last drive to where they stopped and slowed down Arizona. Like, they didn't give a damn. Well, uh, they did. But uh, what I mean to say is, not making the playoffs didn't discourage them from wanting to leave that field with a win. And I was impressed by that. What I don't like is that they suddenly got aggressive on offense, threw the ball down the field, went for it on two, went for two. I'd like to see that more often throughout the game, be the aggressor instead of waiting until it's desperate times. Thank God we didn't make the playoffs. It would have been embarrassing. Thank you, Flick of the Switch. This is a topic I would like to discuss. I hate, 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 hate the use of the word embarrassing. Have you ever played professional football? I haven't, but I've been around dudes and I've covered it and I've been on the sideline. It is never embarrassing to lose a game in the NFL. Sitting on your couch, saying those players should be embarrassed just because they didn't play well. When you have a bad day at work, would it be fair to call you out as being an embarrassment? I hate that word. Uh, Let's see. This is interesting. The Pete Carroll playbook, Robert Charles, is clear. Stay within reach no matter how bad our our execution is and then take it down the field at the end of the game with the defense in prevent mode, which does nothing. I think this applies to offense too, and it's what I was just touching on. It's one of my biggest pet peeves with Pete. The whole you can't win the game in the first quarter thing. Yes, you absolutely can. I think you're exactly right. I think he intentionally makes conservative decisions throughout the game because he wants to mitigate risk. But then when it's a close game at the end, now the gloves come off, and that's why we've been so successful moving the ball down the field because we have the pieces in place to do so. We have a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field. We have outstanding wide receivers. A couple of good running backs. That's one of the reasons I want change. It's because I want some more of that aggression. I want creativity. I want to go into a game where I don't know the defensive game plan. And I see something new and it works. Uh, It drives me crazy that we just see the same damn thing every single week. Uh, Oh, I got to call you on this one though. Flick of the switch. Pete raising his arms in celebration at the end of the game is a joke. You got to celebrate a win, man. Again, I'll say it. Have you played football? Those guys get wrecked. Absolutely wrecked. They're putting their bodies and lives on the line every day. It's a long season. And they have to put up with crap like this. Constantly scrutinized and criticized for playing their hearts out. So you win a game against a rival that you pull out at the end when all everything's against you everything's falling apart hell yes you you raise your arms hell yes get out of here with that Thomas again if Pete stays and they go 10 and 7 with one win versus the 49ers next year and make the playoffs are we still mad uh, some will be some people have already made up their minds and you can't change them and and it's not that's not unique to see Seattle or Seahawks fans. It happens in every sport, every fan base, everywhere. We get spoiled and, and we want what others have and we want to win. And because it's become such a chest-pounding, tribalistic thing, my team's better than yours, so I'm better than you. That's the culture we live in because we can get on social media and we can talk shit. That's not why I enjoy sports, but I get it. I understand that that's why so many people have that mentality. So there are some that will never be happy until they get their way, which is new coach. And then if that's not successful, they'll find a reason to bitch about that too. But yeah, I think the reasonable part of the fan base, <laughs> the thoughtful part of the fan base, and most of the fan base would say, hey, we saw improvement and we made up ground with the 49ers. Now, where do we go from here? So I guess that my answer to that's yes and no. Some, some are always going to be mad. And then you have people like this, Adam Pete Carroll's my ride or die. All right, if that's how you feel, then I'm with you on that too. Look, I have, uh, I'm a Mariner fan too, and I have spent years and years and years defending uh, guys that are in charge there. Not ownership, God no, not the ownership, uh, but the other dudes, the manager and the GM, um, that that I just think they're really good at their jobs, and that they they have to kind of work against some constraints that aren't really fair um, that, that that keep them from reaching their ceiling. But yeah, man, uh, like I said, I almost teared up on that show uh, when I said that I wanted change uh, a month or so ago, because I, I love Pete. I really, really do. And the day that he leaves, whether it's on his own terms or not, is going to be one of the hardest days we've ever experienced here as Seahawk fans for most of us. For me, certainly it will be. Um, let's see. Mark Mason says, you know it's bad when you live in Phoenix and you have no desire to go to the game. I feel you on that one. Coming out of the Pittsburgh game last week, I thought, we're not beating that Cardinals team. They're playing pretty well. They're putting some things together. James Conner's running it down people's throats. And Kylo looks pretty good. I think he saved his job there. Um, I didn't think they had a chance today. As the week went on, I started to talk myself into it. Um, But yeah, I get it, man. I get it. Uh, See, punter John Ryan just tweeted how disappointed he is issuing a pic of the guy smoking cigars in the room after the game. Is that true? Now, that's different than raising your arms at the end of a game, right? I got a little heated about that a couple minutes ago. You celebrate the win, but yeah, that is not cool. That indicates to me a not a loser mentality. Well, maybe a mediocre mentality. You're you're satisfied with mediocrity. Somebody said earlier uh, if you if follow him on Twitter, Hustle Chilton said right after the game that he was very optimistic and he said this feels like 2012 to me when you knew after that Atlanta playoff loss that something was we were on the verge of something. Now a lot of us said we felt that last year but what's the big storyline that gets talked about now over and over again about after that game is Russell Wilson's demeanor and attitude and going up to Pete Carroll and saying, we're not losing this game next year. We're getting it done. This is just the beginning. Next year starts now. That's what I would hope the mentality is in the locker room right now. Uh, if they're smoking cigars, that's, did someone tell them the bears one? Uh, yeah not happy about that um here's Ryan Wilson this is this is a common mentality this is a common mindset and so i get it 9 and 8 and no playoffs isn't a winning season why is that some standard the fans think is good uh it literally is it literally is winning more games than you lose and they finish 16th out of 32, which means they're better than half the teams in the league. It's this mentality that if you're not the Super Bowl champion, it's better to be 0-17. Because then you have a shot at Caleb Williams or whatever, and that might make you suddenly good. I hate that mentality, man. I hate it. Just hate it. I mean, we can talk for hours about how you know again we tend we we look for what we can find to confirm our priors right and the skeptics that just want chaos and want to blow it all up and change it are going to point to they're going to say well we barely beat the Cardinals today we barely beat the commanders who stink true um a couple of our wins came against some of the worst teams in the league we beat up on the Giants they're terrible um you know what's a, what's another one we can point to what's another close game that that uh I don't know I don't have the schedule in front of me but you can go through it and you can make an argument I could also tell you we're a play away from beating the, the Bengals and should have should have beat that game if the Geno Smith who we saw from week seven until today showed up for that game we win that game um field goal away from beating the Rams in the second game should have won that game right now you're 11 and five. Do you want to tear it down then? Does everything suck then? Like you're one play away from winning those two games. And what what did I tweet out earlier today? So they they have eight losses, six of them are to playoff teams. Six of them are to playoff teams. Somebody tried to tell me today that they they've they they've lost a bunch of games to teams they should have beat most of their losses were to playoff teams. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, Thomas, Gino isn't the problem. It's the trenches. Boy, isn't that the truth? But here's the thing, though. I think a better coach can scheme a good defense out of what they have on hand right now. I think the pieces are in place. If you bring back Leonard Williams, you get a healthy Mike Morris. Saw some cool things. It'll be interesting to watch the All-22 out of Cam Young and even Austin Fialu. We saw some Matt Gautel today. At first, I thought 64 was Gotell, but it was Fialu. He was in there. Finally got to play at the end of the year. I think a better coach can get better results out of that with a better scheme and a better approach. I think you play more man because that suits Witherspoon and Reek. I think you blitz more, you disguise things more. You go back to two gapping where you're plugging running lanes up instead of trying to penetrate and shooting your wad and watching guys run by you. So I don't think you need to sell out and 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 have wholesale changes again. You need to add a guy. And there's, there's some dudes that I love. Unfortunately, they're probably gone by pick 16 in the first round. It's a thin, thin top of the draft, and we don't have a second rounder, so you might lose out on some guys there too. Um, it's imperative they bring Leonard Williams back. Uh, let's see. This this was a, a common sentiment that I saw throughout the day. As soon as Chicago lost, I wanted the Hawks to lose a game. I'm happy for Tyler's performance today, but they generally don't deserve a win. Um. The circumstances on the sideline was like 30 years ago when Rick Meyer was eating hot dogs with Eugene Robinson. Rick Meyer never gave a shit anyway. It's one of the things I hate about him. He could throw a pick, a pick six, or a game-winning touchdown and had the same mopey expression on his face. Give me Brock Bowers. That's who you're taking with? Your, first of all, he's not going to last till 16. He's a top 10 pick. Second of all, that does nothing to move the needle on your roster right now. And you don't pick again until the third round? No, thanks. Uh, this is an absolutely dumb mentality. Of course they care about winning. They're trying to win. They're going to do everything they can. You, they may not go about it the right way. But they're trying to win. Uh, they just do this for their jobs. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I can tell you, like I've personally talked to people in that front office. And they care desperately about their about winning and about being successful at their job. New subscriber Motive, thank you. Um, <laughs> Jody Allen just gave Matt Prater some Christmas money. <laughs> uh, Cam Chancellor for New DC. He didn't sound like he's going. Divine comedy. I think we've kind of covered most of the big topics here. Um, Now, this is an interesting one that's going to be a big storyline this offseason. Ross Hannum. Brooks is the type of good, not great player that we can't overpay to keep. This is a fascinating point. Uh, I was talking to Michael Thompson about this today. He asked me, do you think... Brooks is a blue chip player, and I don't. He's not a blue chip. He's not an all pro. He's not. Uh, but but I think consequently he's not going to be able to command. Excuse me, I gotta take a little drink here. My throat's dry. He's not going to be able to command Roquan Smith money. He's not going to command twenty million AAV. But I saw a player that got better this year. And more impactful coming off an ACL injury in which he only missed seven and a half months. I feel like that dude plays hard. I think he's all business. He's the kind of guy you want in your locker room. I think he's the heir apparent to Bobby at Mike, and they move him back there again. And then you go draft a weak side linebacker that can run and cover. That's my dream. I think the Seahawks want him badly. I think they would have exercised his fifth-year option if he hadn't hurt his knee. And I think you saw without him in the second half of today's game and during the Pittsburgh game how much difference it made not having him out there. So if he likes it here and he's motivated to stay, I think they get a deal done. I really do. And I think they get a deal done with him and Williams. There's a way to do it. I was playing around with the cap calculator today. There's multiple ways to do it. I think it's imperative, but <clears throat> player and team, and this is the case with any contract negotiation, have to agree on value. This might be a situation where they don't want to risk giving them the franchise tag because that would be too much. He'd probably take it. But where they let him explore the market and they put an offer out there for them, and they say, hey, give us a chance to match. They've done that with other players before, and they end up coming back. Nobody in the league knows the market better than John Schneider. He's made these kinds of risks before, and it's paid off. I, I, I could see that happening in this scenario. Thomas Cox, so you're willing to see another 9-8 and eight season and the defense is worse than it actually is. How many more coordinators does Pete need to hire to show that Pete isn't the guy anymore? I get what you're saying. I understand. But this I call this type of statement the the crystal ball approach. That you're so anti-Pete that you're just sure that no matter what happens between now and August, they're gonna go nine and eight again next year. There's no hope to be better. Maybe you're right, but I don't think that's the way life works. It's just not. And oh, by the way, didn't you watch earlier and also in the last 10 shows I've done where I said, I want a coaching change. I'm just, now, I don't think there's going to be one. And so my passion is trying to run through scenarios and trying to figure out how to make the best of what we have right now, based on what we know. And that's what I try to present to you as well. Kukski. again, I get a sense it may be wrong, but that QB and wide receiver are going to be heavily taken in the top 50 picks, and there's going to be tremendous value in day two at our need positions. You could absolutely be right. This is a very, very dynamic quarterback draft. And the Seahawks might be really well positioned at 16 if they don't want to take a quarterback, and they very may may well fall in love with one of those guys. And best player available, no matter what, right? There are those who believe that if Anthony Richardson had fallen one more spot, Last year, they would have taken him because they had him that high on their board. They had him above Devin Witherspoon. They would have taken him and just let him sit. If they fall in love with Michael Penix or J.J. McCarthy, if he declares, or Bo Nix, kind of that middle-of-the-first-round group, we'll see where Jaden Daniels fits in all of that. If they fall in love with one of those guys, they might not be able to resist taking him. But if they decide there's a better route to getting where they want to get to, And 16 might kind of be that ledge again where somebody wants to move up and give them a second rounder, a third rounder and and recoup some of what they lost for Leonard Williams. And then you can go after some of those defensive tackles. Guys like uh, Sweat out of Texas, Michael Hall from Ohio State. Some of those guys are going to fall today too. Um, It's a fascinating sense. I think everything I've learned about this draft to this point Is as soon as I saw it was 16, my immediate thought was five months away from the draft. I'm calling my shot. We're trading down. Like it just makes all the sense in the world. Because what you see, if you look at big boards now, and a lot's going to change when we get through the combine and everything else, things will tighten up and we'll get more of a consensus. But what you're seeing right now, if you play around with some mock drafts, is in that 16 to 20 to 25 range, you get a lot of corners, a lot of receivers. The top DTs are gone. The top offensive tackles are usually gone. Although, spoiler alert, that's kind of my favorite pick right now. It's one of those stud Mauler right tackles. We'll talk about that more. What about Abe Lucas? We'll talk about that. We'll get into that. Um, yeah, fascinating. Fascinating spot to be in the first round. Right smack in the middle. Here's the big, here's the big question is uh from jocular jellyfish. Love <laughs> that and the great uh the great avatar also. Is Clint Hurt done in Seattle? Has to be, right? He has to be. We've seen Pete Carroll fire defensive coordinators that had way more history with him. Both Chris Richard and Ken Norton Jr. go back to his USC days and were with him for years and performed better and got fired. Uh, This defense was helpless and got worse as the year goes on. I think Clint has to be fired. I think from a PR standpoint, I think that is one thing he's going to have to take to Jody Allen on a plate and say, here, here's how I'm going to fix this. The question is, can he get anyone established to come in here? Maybe a guy is just, I'm just, this off the top of my head, man maybe a guy like brandon staley who had so much success with the rams that it got him a head coaching job he failed miserably at that he's not going to get another head coaching job in this cycle he's going to need to need to reestablish himself and take a dc job somewhere maybe a guy like that is younger just didn't really have the roster in san diego they never really gave him the pieces Um, just a thought, maybe a guy like that, that he could bring in, but I think someone like that's going to have to have some assurances that he can do things his way. It'll be interesting. Uh, so this is interesting. Rooftop sports. If you saw the mock draft show I did two months ago, uh, we took Bo Now things have changed since then. I think the, the mock draft community and the big board community have cooled on him. Some have pegged him as a system quarterback, a check down guy. I don't agree with that. I think he's outstanding. I think there's a chance now, though, that he could slide to day two. Um, But I wouldn't bat an eye if someone takes him at the end of the first round. I think Bo Nix is a heck of a player, and I think he would really, really fit the system. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time the next couple of months studying Mid-round guys. I was looking at Michael Pratt from Tulane the other day. My guy Cam Ward from WSU. Now that he's declared, Sam Hartman from Notre Dame. Some of those fourth, fifth, sixth-round guys that have played a lot of football, right? The Brock Purdy uh, method of success. Lots of starts under their belt. Lots of football. Experienced. uh, Don't turn the ball over. Accurate. Good enough arm. I was watching some Jordan Travis tape last night. You know, depending on what the medicals come back, and how's his leg, when he's going to be, when when is he going to be available? Is he a red shirt kind of a guy as a as a rookie? Uh, I'm going to be studying those guys a lot because I think it's it's more likely that that's the route that they'll go. All right, let's see. We're over an hour, so I know I didn't get to some of you, uh, but let's well let's talk about this. Maybe we'll end on this one. Kugoski says Penix feels similar to Stroud, and I don't think teams will sleep on him. See him not escaping that eight to ten pick range. the The Michael Penix situation is going to be fascinating to me because everything about what I know about quarterbacks and the draft, and and covering it and following it as a fan for the last forty years, tells me that he's a and he's a second half of the first round type guy. He's a little overaged, which might not matter as much these days because so many of these guys took their extra COVID years and it's a lot more common for guys to come out at 24, 25 years old. Now he's got the medical history, two blown ACLs, some shoulder injuries. He's not seen, he can move around, but he's not known or seen as a guy that's as mobile, which is something that's really desired in today's modern NFL but because he's burst on the national scene the last couple of weeks and people that hadn't normally watched him have seen him and seen him play well and seen that dynamic arm talent. And then he gets to know the kid and he's everything you'd want. All of a sudden, he's a top 10 pick. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, I saw it on Daniel Jeremiah's timeline the other day. Uh, someone asked him, someone in the scouting community asked him, he said, I have him as a day two. But with his finish, with his performance recently, could he have moved up into the end of the round one conversation? Daniel said his evaluation is going to be in the hands of the medical staff of each of the teams. So we didn't disagree with the guy. He didn't say, nope, he's a top 10 pick. Um, J.J. McCarthy's decision could could impact this a lot. Some of you might not think much of J.J. McCarthy because he just Jim Harbaugh doesn't unleash him, doesn't let him throw much. It's a very conservative offense there. But that kid is dripping with talent. And uh, and he may work his way into the top 15 conversation as well if he decides to declare. And then Bo Nix kind of wild card. I think the evaluation uh, season is going to be very, very important for him, how he does in the in combine in interviews. Um, I don't know for sure if he's going. I think he is. I think I just read the other day he's going to the senior bowl. I hope, I hope I'm right about that because I could really help him with a good week there. And then Jaden Daniels is like, you know, with a bullet moving up charts. And he's got that Lamar Jackson kind of thing going on and that really, really um, dynamic and elite athleticism that teams are looking for sometimes now. And and, and he, again, like 50-something starts in college. Very, very experienced. I think more weight is being placed on that in team evaluations now um, because, uh, because of what Brock Purdy has done. That maybe teams have overlooked that or underestimated that a little bit in the past. Um, so we'll see the, the quarterback class whether the Seahawks dip into it or not early in the draft is going to be fascinating to watch, and I can't wait. All right, you guys, um, that is going to do it because um, we're at an hour eight now. I'm going to get off. I'm going to catch up on all the post game stuff and uh, take a bunch of notes, and then listen to his coaches show on uh, Seattle Sports seven ten tomorrow morning and. Uh, and I'll have a reaction tomorrow to that, and then I'm going to enjoy that national championship game tomorrow because no matter who you're rooting for or what you think, and and, and I'm a Coug and I'm pulling for the Huskies. You know, it's the state of Washington. And I really like this team. I like Coach DeBoer and what he's done there. And I've kind of set aside my feelings about the Pac-12 imploding for now. Anyway, um, and uh, but but simply put, that game is going to have so many guys that are coming out in this draft that i put it on twitter the other day what's your over under for how many players from that draft are going to end up seahawks next year like you want a defensive lineman they're there you want offensive lineman they're there you want quarterbacks they're there uh just about anything you want linebackers there's a couple linebackers in that game that i love um it's, it's going to be really, really fun to watch from that aspect also just because how good were those semifinals, right? I guess that committee kind of knew what they were doing with both semifinals coming down to the very, very last play of the game. That's unbelievable. Well, 9-8, and eight, another winning season. The Seahawks win again, and yet we're all sad, right? What could have been? What could have been? I haven't even looked at who they would have. Who was the two seed? Who would they have ended up playing? Um, God, how about those Eagles limping into the playoffs? My goodness. Uh, The Jaguars imploding after an eight and three start. Eight and two start. Unbelievable. Um, Like I said, buckle up. The offseason is starting, and this is where Seahawks forever kicks it up a notch. I will have guests on, some of your other favorite podcasters and journalists and former players and coaches, and we're going to have a lot of fun this offseason. So make sure and subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to all the uh, audio platforms, and follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever for more. No matter what you think or what you believe or what you feel, have a drink. Cheers. Relax. Try to put it to bed. Enjoy a stress-free weekend next week and enjoy the national championship game and the NFL playoffs. All right? Remember, at the end of the day, we care about it a lot, right? It's just a game. But that being said, forever and always, go Hawks. Thank you so much for watching.